0: I want to say that we appreciate the presence of everyone that is here to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you might be able to use as you go along life's way. Those of you that have driven a ways to be here, we certainly are appreciative of the fact that you've taken time to do that, to aid us and to help us in this gospel meeting. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark, the 10th chapter. And I want to start in the 46th verse. What you're going to read here is the story of blind Bartimaeus. Now I remember that years ago when I first started studying about this that some would say it's not Bartimaeus, it's Bartimaeus. And there were some that said no it's Bartimaeus. I've always said Bartimaeus and so since I'm the one doing this I'm going to call it Bartimaeus and y'all can call it what you want to as, as you go along. But there are some things about this story of the healing of the blind man that I think is very important that coincides with exactly the way you and I are today. whenever we have a a chance to meet Jesus. And so I want to share with you some thoughts I have about that. And they came to Jericho. You know, Jericho, as I've studied and looked at, was a very modern city for the time. Caravans come through there, and it was a place of trade. And if you read about Jericho, you'll find that it was like a lot of cities. It was the land of haves and the land of have-nots. Now Bartimaeus obviously was one of the have-nots, but there was a lot of of wealth in Jericho as well. And apparently it was the kind of place that you could pretty much get whatever you wanted. You know, a a while back I had a chance to go to New York City and watch all the ships and things coming into the harbor and all that. And basically I figured out if if you needed something and you couldn't get it in New York City, basically you either really didn't need it or it didn't exist because it all come through there. And that's kind of the way Jericho was. And it was modern, it was up to date. It was a commerce and a trade center. You know, every generation believes that they are the most modern, the latest and the wisest. Have you ever heard of any generation their leaders getting up and say, "Now our kids are going to do great because we're backwards and we're knuckleheads." <laughs> They never say that. Have you ever noticed that? It's always we're the most modern. We're the most up-to-date. Nobody's ever been able to accomplish and do the things that we do. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up to you is years ago I was watching a talk show and had had a platform of preachers sitting on it, and they were discussing certain subjects. The host asked one of these preachers. He said, now this is in the 80s. He said, doesn't the Bible typically go against what you're saying? And this preacher said, yes, the Bible is traditionally against what I'm saying here. But the Bible is an outdated book that really isn't good for modern man in the 1980s. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is a preacher. You know, with friends like that, the Lord don't need enemies. You know what I think's funny about that? That was the most modern generation in the 1980s. I've heard some of these kids, when they're insulting each other, go, Oh, man, you're so 80s. <laughs> they consider them backwards. But that was the most modern. We've always thought we were modern, we were up-to-date. And you know what? Everybody saw, A lot of people have always thought that they were too modern and too sophisticated for God. But you're never going to outgrow God, and you're never going to outgrow His Word. You ever wondered why? You know, you got things at your fingertip. you got cell phones that used to, a computer would take up a room just to do what your cell phone does. The way we're able to travel and communicate and all that. How can the Bible being written as old as it is still be applicable to me and you? Have you ever thought about that? You know, the Bible's not a history book. Now, it's got some history in it and it teaches some history. There's no doubt about it. The Bible is not a science book. It's got some science in it. And it does see some scientific things. The Bible is not a ge- geography book. Although it has some geography in it and things like that. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is a book of relationships. That's what it is. And you know the one thing that hasn't changed from the beginning of time to today Is the earth has been made up of men, women, and children. And those relationships that men, women, and children have have never changed. The Bible is a book of relationships on how to get along with your government, regardless of how it is. The Bible tells you how to get along with your employer, the Bible tells you how to get along with employees. The Bible tells husbands and wives how to get along with each other and have a godly relationship. The Bible tells you about the relationship between parents and their children. The Bible is a book of relationships that will never be outdated. Now, I don't care how smart people get and how many books are written contrary to what the Bible says. Nobody will ever be better for your relationships than God. If you've got trouble in your relationship, I promise you, it's because somewhere, some way, you're out of step with God. You want to fix it? Look to God. He'll tell you how to fix it. He'll tell you how to do, how to be. Whatever that relationship. But you know the most important relationship? Is how to have a relationship with your God, how to be reconciled to your God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the relationship God wants to have with you. So, Jericho was a modern city. So is New York City. So is Amarillo. So is wherever you want to be. Everybody's modern. But we're not going to outgrow God because God's talking about relationships. And your relationships haven't changed. You know, when I was coming up, forgive me. (laughs) Some of you here are going to be able to relate to this. Some of you are going to wonder what language he's speaking. But my dad and them were out of it. They weren't cool. They weren't with the in crowd. And they weren't groovy people. They were square. Now, if you don't know what all that meant, you really need to Google it. But I will tell you what my mom and dad did know. They knew what relationships that young people could get into and the pitfalls of those relationships. And it hadn't changed from when they were dating in the 50s to when we were dating in the 70s to when you're dating today. And you may think that mom and dad don't know what's going on and they're not really up to speed with your world they know. And you just put a different suit on it, call it by a different name, but it's the same old, same old. And it hasn't changed a bit. You know, it was amazing to me when I had children how much smarter my dad suddenly become. You know what really burnt me up about that deal? Is the things I hated about the man. I found myself saying to my kids. <laughs> And I'm going, my goodness, I sound like my dad. You know why? Because relationships haven't changed. And your relationship with your husband, your wife, the relationship with children, the relationship with your God, it's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. And you're not going to outgrow God, and you're not going to know more about your relationship than He does. Give God's way a try. So they come to the city of Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. You know what's funny about that deal? I told you some people call it Bartimus, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. It's not a name. Look it up. It's not a name. Bar, in this day, meant the son of. And all this was, was the son of Timothy, or Timothy's son. I don't know what his name was. We talk about Osama bin Laden. His name was Osama. Bin meant son of Laden. That wasn't his full name. His name was Osama, and the description was the son of Laden, and that's where we got the bin from. Bar, back then, meant the same thing. So when you read about Bartimaeus, Timothy's son. You know what I got out of that as I got to thinking about it? Here is a blind, no-name beggar going no place in life. You know what Bartimaeus did the day before? Same thing he did today. You know what he was going to do tomorrow? You got it. This is as good as it gets. He's going to be by the roadside begging. He's a blind, no-name beggar going no place in life. You know, interestingly enough, I was at a sales meeting, and a fellow talked about the importance of knowing names. And he said, I want to get up and write the best-sounding name in the world. I thought, okay, this would be cool. And he wrote his name on the board. (laughs) And he liked for people to call him by his name. You know, when Bev and I got married, I told her, I said, from now on, you just feel free to sign your checks, Mrs. Marlon Cole. And she goes, my daddy didn't name me (laughs) Marlon. And she signs a Mrs. Beverly Cole because her daddy named her Beverly. I remember going around and doing meetings and things, and my younger brother that lived with me for a while out in Plainview. I mean, he's about 12 or so. He got very tired of the fact that he was Marlon's brother. He goes, you know, I got a name, I'm Sam. (laughs) We all like to be known, we all like to have a purpose, we're all important, we're going places, we got plans, we're doing things. But you know what, as I get to thinking about it, a lot of us are just like Bartimaeus. We're blind, no-name beggars, going nowhere spiritually. How much more Bible do you know today Than you knew last year. How much more of God's word do I have committed to memory? And I know some people don't have as good of memories as others. I've been told it's a gift. Or a curse. Depending on how you look at it. But how much of God's word have you hid in your heart. That you might not sin against him. Are you planning to do anything about it? Oh, I know we're busy and we don't have time to sit down and read the Bible all the time. But you know, I know people that can't start the day without reading a newspaper. (laughs) Now, there's not as many of them around as there used to be. But we got to have a novel. You know, what is the fascination with vampires? Did I lose you? You ever heard of Twilight? There are people that are reading, and I found out a lot of them are in their 40s and 50s that are reading this vampire love story or whatever it is. And there's a whole series written. this dude's got a gold mine. Because the vampire lives forever, and I guess he can outlive one girlfriend until he gets to the next one. We got time for that, though, don't we? Isn't that funny? Now, I know that I'm weird, and I admit that. Bev likes to read romance novels, things like that. At night, I like to read Eusebius, the histories of the anti-Nicene fathers. Light reading, you know. We have time to read what we're really interested in, don't we? Do you really think you can put the Bible under your pillow and you will know it tomorrow? I heard about the reason I brought that up. I heard about this tape thing that you could put under and they'd speak a foreign language, you'd be able to speak it when you woke up. I thought, man, that's great. (laughs) You think the Bible works that way? Put Alexander Scorby under your pillow and let him read you the Bible all night, and you'll be able to wake up quoting it. Maybe, I don't know. The point is, you've got to plan to do something about it. Where are you going to be next week? Where are you going to be next year spiritually? Are we going to be in the same place Bartimaeus was, the same place we are right now? Blind, no-name beggar, going no place in life. There's never been a ship that sets off on a course that just heads out and goes, Well, wherever we get, we get. It doesn't work that way, and you know it. And you're not going to just all of a sudden know God's Word. You know, I've known men that could quote the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't mean to bust you folks' bubble. But I've heard people talk about brother so-and-so. He'd have his Bible upside down, didn't even know it. Or he got his songbook and said, you mean this man can quote 90% of the Bible and he didn't know the difference in a songbook and a Bible? That brought a little showmanship involved there. But you know what? They weren't born quoting it. There's a reason they could quote it. And there's a reason they knew it forward and backwards and sideways. They spent time in God's Word and they applied it to their lives. And that's why they could do it. I'm going to tell you something, people. It's real simple. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You want to be a teacher of God's Word? You cannot teach what you do not know. What about as a congregation? You know, one of the biggest fears that you have with the congregation, believe it or not, is they'll get up pretty good size and they'll start doing pretty good. I had a coach looked at me one time, football coach, and said, Marlon, you could be a good player if you didn't have an apathetic attitude. And I looked at him and he could tell. <laughs> he goes, go home and look that up. And I did. I went home and got my Webster dictionary down. And apathetic means care less. We become complacent. We become satisfied. I'm going to tell you something. There is no such thing in a congregation as holding our own. That's a myth. How y'all doing? We're holding our own. No, you're not. You're either going forward or you're going backwards, but you're not staying the same. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm down to super giant print Bible. And the boys at home bought me these so I can see the truth. And I didn't have to have that a few years ago. Things are changing. I remember when some of you that are moms and dads here were kids like this bunch over here. And some of you were in the carriers. We're not holding our own. Are we planning to move forward? Where are we going to be? How are we going to get there? Do we know? Have we thought about it? It's not going to just happen, people. You're going to have to take time and plan to make things happen. Otherwise, we're going to be like Bartimaeus. We're going to be a blind, no-name beggar going nowhere in life. Now, Bartimaeus is sitting in this pile of rags. The Bible says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out when he realized it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, have mercy on me. And people said, shh. And he cried out the more. Why did he do that? Jesus was busy. Jesus an important person. He had throngs of people around him. Let me tell you why, folks. Because the only person that could give him what he wanted the most in life was passing by. And he was going to Jerusalem. And he would never pass that way again. Not in the flesh. And if Bartimaeus was going to get what he needed, he was going to get it right then, right there. And if he let Jesus walk by without saying a word, he would have been a blind, no-name beggar right there tomorrow where he was today. Do you have a sense of urgency about you? Or is there plenty of time? Is there a sense of urgency? I need to get my life right. I need to start growing. I need to be with Jesus. He's passing by. And you may never pass this way again. The one that can give you what passing by. Are you going to sit silent? Years ago, I heard about a young man, or a a man that gave a seminar, and a young man challenged him. This man gave a seminar on, if you want a million dollars, you can make it. And the young man challenged him on it. He had a bucket of water, and I don't know why you bring a bucket of water to a speech, but he did. At any rate, and it's helpful to this story. So the bucket of water is sitting up there, and this young man comes up, and he says, young man, look into that bucket of water. And the young man looked over, and he shoved his head and held him under And he came up, I mean, he was fighting mad. And the old man told him, said, when you want a million dollars as bad as you wanted your head out of that bucket, you'll get it. And you know what? When you want Jesus and you want to be a Christian and you want to be saved and you want to live a godly life as bad as you want your next breath, you'll find a way to get it. You won't let Jesus pass by. You won't say there's plenty of time. I can just wait. I'll do it later. Do you know how many people I have heard in my lifetime tell me when I get my kids raised and my business settled and my finances in order, I'm going to serve God. When I retire, I'm going to serve God. Now, folks, I don't know when life slows down. And I would like for some of the older ones to tell me, but it ain't 60. I thought you quit at 60. When does it slow down? You know what I've noticed? If you don't have time to serve God right now, you're not going to have it when you're old. If you can't serve God when the children are little, you're not going to do it when they're grown. If you can't do it when you have bills, you're not going to do it when you're out of debt. And how many stories do I need to stand up here and tell you about men that were going to serve God whenever they retired, and about retirement time, they had a stroke, a heart attack, or something like that that wiped them out? You either have time to serve God now or you don't. Jesus is passing by. He's in the soul-saving business. He changes lives today just like he did in the first century. Don't let him pass by. And you stay sitting beside the road Beggie. He knows what you need. You know, you never really know (laughs) the person you're married to until you have some sort of an infirmity. (laughs) Years ago, I uh, was out on the farm, and I had a trailer that I needed to weld a crossbeam on. And the w- rods had been a little wet and all that. And, you know, I didn't have to weld very far. But as long as I didn't have the helmet on, I could make it work. And I thought, well, I know you're not supposed to. But it's not a very big job. So I'm going to weld that thing without a helmet. Now, some of you that have been around that, you know exactly what's fixing to happen. So I welded it and got it done. I went home and had supper. You know, I thought Beb needed protection. So I bought her a little pepper spray deal on a keychain I woke up about midnight and I thought she'd tried it out (laughs) my eyes were burning and I was suffering and fellas I'm telling you I didn't feel like peeling potatoes I know peel the potatoes put the potato skins on it's supposed to take the heat out and I went to the doctor I mean every time any little bit of light it was just excruciating And they put this salve painkiller in my eyes, and then they put a blindfold on you. you got to wear this for 24 hours. So I got up the next day, and Bev goes, I'm going to go fix breakfast. And I heard the door shut, and I'm trying to put my drawers on, and I'm falling down, and I heard her giggle. She didn't leave the room. (laughs) You never know, boys. You know, we had a miraculous healing right then. I wanted to see I wanted to see bad. I'm not, I can't put up with this. She'll rearrange furniture on me before the day's over. <laughs> Sight is a precious thing. Ronnie Millsap was on a TV show, the country singer that's blind, a number of years ago. And his son was sitting on the front row. And his son had purple hair. I'd never seen purple hair, but the kid had purple hair. I mean purple. And they said, Ronnie... What do you do about this kid's hair? And he goes, well, it's kind of hard to keep an eye on the boy. (laughs) They asked him a question that choked up everybody in the audience. They said, is there anything that you haven't, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame, you've got gold records, you live in a mansion. Is there anything you would trade it for? And he said this. He said, I'd give up the gold records, the Hall of Fame, and the music if I could have 60 seconds to look on the woman that stood by me all these years. That's how bad somebody wants want to see when they can't. And when you want salvation for your soul, and you want Jesus in your life as bad as you'd want to see, you're not going to let him pass by, are you? Now, Bartimaeus didn't either. Now, the people, when they heard him cry out, many charged him that he should hold his peace. You know what's weird? The strangest people, when you decide to serve God, are going to become your foes. Jesus said, Think not that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew chapter 10. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. The people you think would support you the most sometimes will be the ones that want to hinder you the most. I remember when I obeyed the gospel, I thought I'll go back and I can tell my family and they'll just all run down and obey the gospel too. It didn't work that way. I got the brothers and sisters, but I never got mom and dad. Sometimes you're going to say, I'm going to serve the Lord. Maybe you want to do some speaking. Maybe you want to do personal work. Maybe you want to become a deacon one day or an elder. And you're going to have people go, you? <laughs> Why not you? I hate to be this way about the eldership, Craig. Doyle Blue became an elder at home. And before he was, the day he was appointed, he came up to me and goes, "Marlin, I just don't think I deserve this. I said, Doyle, I don't think you do either, (laughs) but somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Why not you? You can be what God would have you to be if you'll spend time with him. He's the potter. You're the clay. And as long as you listen to the naysayers, you're not ever going to do anything. And they're out there everywhere. Baptized a young man years ago. He come up out of the water, and he was like a lot of new uh, Christians. He was excited, and I had a pen and paper because he was rattling off names, and I'm writing them down. <laughs> and man, he—we got to go talk to this person. We got to go to, and he was just on fire. And I heard one of the older brethren say to another older brother, "Well, he's just young and enthusiastic, but he'll get over that." Older brethren, why would you want him to get over it? Why wouldn't you pour gas on the fire, fan the flame, instead of put it out? Let me tell you something, folks. You decide to take a stand for the Lord, you're going to make people uncomfortable. That's why. You decide that you're going to go out and you're going to serve the Lord. And you're going to teach the gospel. You're going to make people uncomfortable that aren't doing it. And instead of them picking up the pace and following, it's easier to discourage you. Let me tell you about the very first Bible study I ever did by myself. I found a gentleman. His name was Al Garcia, and I haven't talked to Al in probably 30, 40 years here, 35. But I set up a Bible study with him. I met him at a donut shop of all places. <laughs> I met at a donut shop. any rate, and he wanted to do a Bible study, so we did a Bible study. And I was very excited, and I came back to my... Older brethren, and I told them about this Bible study they had. And you know what they told me? They said, Martin, I hope he's not Catholic. Well, he'd gone to the Catholic Church his whole life. He goes, oh, you can't convert them. And I'm beginning to get depressed here. And he goes, man, I hope he ain't over 50. He was 62. I'm going, oh, man. He goes, well, I hope he's not Hispanic. Al Garcia. Strike three, you're out. There's no way this is gonna work. I got down to the end and I'd listened to my wise older brethren. You know how I ended that study? Worst ending you've ever don't ever do this. I said, Well, Al, I've told you everything I know. What do you think? Isn't that great? Because I'd have been told it ain't gonna work. Why bother? And he goes, I'll tell you what I think, brother. I need to be a Christian and start serving God the way the Bible says. No, whoa! You know what I learned that day? Don't listen to the brethren. Go do the work. Tell the story. Invite people to be a part of the Lord. People want Jesus. They want to be saved. They just need somebody to tell them that's willing to do it. Don't listen to the naysayers. They're a dime a dozen. What if Paul had listened to the naysayers? Or Peter? Where would me and you be by the way, since we're getting along so good, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, guess where you are? <laughs> you are the uttermost part of the earth. And people in the uttermost part of the earth want to be Christians. Isn't that amazing? Don't listen to the naysayers. Decide to serve God and follow Him. And some are going to come along. And they are going to be those, and it may be the oddest people, the ones you think would support you the most but don't you let them discourage you. Bartimaeus didn't. Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, and he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Jesus stopped. He heard him. And he said, Come here, Bartimaeus. And he, the people said, Be of good cheer. He's calling for you. The Son of God is calling for a blind, no-name beggar. You don't think you're important to him? He's fixing to give his life for Bartimaeus. Well, he's fixing to give his life for you, too. A little few chapters over. Sometimes we don't think we're very significant. We're not important in the grand scheme of things. Jesus stopped for this man and said, "What What do I need to do for you? And he was fixing to go die for him. Now Bartimaeus cast off those garments, that pile of rags he was sitting in. And he came to Jesus. Now here's the point, people. As long as he sat by that roadside in those rags, he was never coming to Jesus. What's stopping you? Whatever it is, it isn't worth it. Cast off that pile of rags and come to the Lord. You know, years ago when I worked at 7-Eleven, I'd see a kid, some of these little ones come in. And they'd have a quarter, back when you could buy something with a quarter. And they'd get a piece of candy and they'd get a quarter and they'd stand there and look at me. And they'd look at that quarter. And they'd look at that candy. You know they couldn't have them both. They couldn't have them both. And they had to make a decision, do I want the quarter or do I want the candy? Do you want the nickels and dimes of the earth? Or do you want the riches of heaven? But you can't have them both. Whatever is holding you back isn't worth it. My dad used to trap raccoons back in in Arkansas. And he had an interesting way of doing it. He took a gallon jug, you know, that had one of those necks on it with a ring. And you, you may have seen them in pictures if you ain't ever seen one in real life. And he would tie it to a tree and he'd put a piece of aluminum foil in that jug. And that raccoon would come up and he'd stick his hand in there and he'd grab that foil and he couldn't pull it out with his fist doubled up. And he would lose his life over a piece of tin foil because it was shiny and it caught his attention. They'd come and throw a sack over him. And they caught a lot of them that way. Have we got our hand in the jar? I heard a story about a kid. I don't know if it's a true story or not. But this family had a vase. Do you have a vase at your house? A vase is a vase that costs more than $200, apparently. (laughs) At any rate, this kid had his hand in the vase. And mom couldn't get it out. She tried. She put the butter on it, the axle grease, you know, petroleum jelly. She couldn't get it out. Dad came home, and he couldn't get it out. He thought about amputation. Just put a flower arrangement on it, you know. Mom vetoed that, so we can't do it. There was only one thing to do to get their kid's hand out of the vase, the heirloom, and they broke it. When it busted, the reason he couldn't get his hand out, he had his fist doubled up because he'd found a nickel in the bottom of it. Now there's a kid fixing to learn a valuable life lesson, <laughs> if nothing else. But you know, we do the same thing. We hang on to all the glitter of the earth and the nickels and dimes. And we give up eternal life for us and our children and our families and the people we care about. Whatever's holding you back, it isn't worth it. Cast it off and come to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? You know, one of these days we're all going to get to stand before the Lord the way Bartimaeus did. For us it'll be in the Spirit. And the Lord's going to ask the same question. What am I going to do with you? If you know him, you're one of his, you don't have anything to worry about. If not, heaven help you. It won't be a good day. Bartimaeus said, "Lord, that I may receive my sight, go thy way, thy faith and made thee whole." And Bartimaeus could see, because Jesus knows what you need. He always knows what we need. But it doesn't stop there. Then it said, Bartimaeus followed him in the way. How far did Bartimaeus follow him? All the way to Jerusalem? To Golgotha. How far did he follow him? But that's what the Lord wants us to do come to him, let him give us what we need, and then follow him in the way. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Let me tell you what the saddest thing that I see is I see people that I have known that have served the Lord from the time they were young. Until the time they're very old. And just before the end, they quit. Now let me tell you about a brainstorm I went to school with. (laughs) Six weeks to graduation, he quit school. He was passing all the classes. In fact, I know he wasn't dead last in the class. You know how I know that? Because I know who was. (laughs) Number 28. Yeah, baby. But somebody convinced him he could make a fortune selling vacuum cleaners door to door and he quit. Now people have made a fortune selling vacuum cleaners. I'm not knocking selling vacuum cleaners. But that close to what happened, he didn't do too good at vacuum cleaners. And he tried to come back and see if they would take him back. But it was too late. He'd quit. Come to Jesus. Cast off those rags that are holding you back. Let Him give you what you need the most. Follow Him in the way till death. And He'll give you a crown of life as we stand and sing.